And if you would please take out your copies of God's Word and turn for the final time, at least for a little while, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We will be finishing our journey in Ephesians today as we read verses 18 through the end of the book, verse 24. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that's page number 1163, the Pew Bible in the row in front of you. Listen carefully, because this is God's word that is for you today. Again, starting in verse 18. The Lord says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go to our Heavenly Father and ask his blessing on our sermon today. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for this passage that we have that's in front of us, this call to prayer. Lord, I pray that we would hear it and that our hearts would be changed. Lord, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It is a fast-paced world today that demands our seeming constant movement, jumping from one task to another, going in and out of email, and it seems like unless you are constantly being productive on something, you must be falling behind. And in a world that demands all of that, something like stopping and praying just doesn't feel productive in our modern society. This is something that's interestingly, it wasn't from a Christian perspective, I was listening to a man who has been known for all the things that he's been able to do. And he has actually talked about that he will take seasons of his life and will purposefully force himself not to do anything. And finds ways in which he considers that he de-optimizes his process in order that he may make the rest of his life more productive. Now, he's answering this from a non-Christian perspective. He goes out and sits in the woods for a few days drinking nothing but water. You don't have to do that in this passage. And what we're needing is we need a realignment of what is truly productive. See, the big lie in productivity these days is things are only happening if you are making them happen. It's up to you to move things along. And if there's anything that we have uncovered in these last six chapters is that there is far more going on than you're able to deal with. We've just gotten to the end of an explanation about spiritual warfare that's been happening. 
and how the weapons that we're given are not swords and guns, but are instead faith and dependence on the gospel. Now, while Paul has dropped the military imagery as we get here into verse 18, I think that should actually be something of a highlight for us. You know how when you're trying to explain something and you're trying to keep it clever and putting all these things, but then when you get to something that's really important, you drop all of this and say, it's like, okay, look, just listen to me. This is really important. Notice how much time he spends on prayer, almost everything else, while still very, very important, most of it just gets a line or two. Here he unfolds prayer for several verses and asks for this for himself. So this is something we do very, very well to pay attention to. For some, prayer comes easily. For others, this is something that's really hard for us to do. If your mind is somewhat chaotic like mine, the idea of disciplining and saying, no, we're going to stop. I'm going to acknowledge that I'm not the one that's getting things done around here. I'm going to acknowledge that I can't even run myself without asking for help. So that is what we are going to look at today is the concept of prayer. We're going to have our two points today. The first is that, as you can see in your outline on the back of the prayer guide, the first point is that prayer should be a continual, Bible-directed, others-focused way of life. That's what Paul lines out for us here. It should be a continual, Bible-directed, others-focused way of life. And then the second point, and I bring this up because we often forget to pray for this, but that prayer should be offered for the gospel to go forward. When Paul asks for prayer, as the chains rattle as he writes this letter, notice what Paul asks for prayer for and what, and what a guide that is for our own requests for prayer. So let's begin as we jump into verse 18. And Paul's exhortation that we should be praying at all times. Notice the number of times all comes up as we look into this, that we should be praying at all times, with all prayer, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We get the picture? Prayer comes up a lot in the Christian life, or it should anyway. And here, when Paul is telling us to be praying at all, all times, what Paul is not telling us to do is that we have our heads bowed and eyes closed 24 hours a day, bumping into things because we're not watching where we're going. That is not what Paul is asking us to do. But what I think he is asking us to do is actually captured very well. I I don't remember the source of this particular thing, so I apologize not being able to give attribution. But I remember hearing one, one gentleman who said, I have never prayed for more than 20 minutes, but I have never gone 20 minutes without praying. I like that. This is prayer is a way of life for him and constantly checking in on the Lord. And this is actually much more of a natural process than we think. How often do we pick up our cell phones an hour? Probably even more often than every 20 minutes. Checking in to see with what's happened with the world or who has been trying to get in contact with us. 
If we were to, every time we were to pick up our phones, which let's just for the sake of argument say that that's only three times an hour. And if we were to pray for just one minute, 60 seconds of prayer, every 20 minutes, three times an hour, you would pray for 45 minutes a day. Put it up to two minutes and you double that time. Now, you would think if I was to say, it's like, yes, I spend an hour and a half in prayer every day. You'd think, wow, how does he find time for that? Two minutes at a time, every 20 minutes. If we were to try something like that, imagine how much of a greater variety of prayer your life might take on. To just discuss with God what happened in the last 20 minutes. The situations you've encountered with your children. Those gospel opportunities that might come up at work. The things that you're worried about. Taking all of those things to him might bring a lot more variety into your prayer by making this just a natural part of your day. Now, If you've scheduled time for prayer, that's wonderful. This is not an either-or sort of a thing. But it's to make prayer a constant part of our life, and I think that's what is captured here in verse 18, of praying at all times. So it's pretty clear that this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pray, but how? How are we supposed to pray? Well, Paul gives us this answer. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, what does this mean? Some have taken praying at all times in the Spirit to mean that this is praying in some sort of spiritual tongue where even the prayer doesn't know what exactly she's saying, but is just in, in the closet and uttering some sort of language of heaven. This is what, how some people have taken that, but I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here. Contrary to popular beliefs about him, the Holy Spirit is actually quite clear. And he wrote the Bible, after all, so he's not the author of confusion or babble. He's actually quite clear. What I think Paul is referring to here and praying in the Spirit and in the Spirit's ministry actually comes from something that he said back in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, here's what Paul says. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you hear what Paul's saying here? The Holy Spirit is praying for us and for us, meaning he is bringing his requests to God, and he is also taking our things that we have prayed for and is making them what they should be. So when we are praying to the Lord and we're, if we're asking wrongly, this doesn't mean that God is like, well, my hands are tied until you can figure out exactly how to formulate the right words for your prayers. Now, the Holy Spirit's worked with that. Someone had pictured this as like when a child wants to give a bunch of flowers to his mom and he's picked along with a few flowers, some weeds and maybe some poison ivy along the way. And someone comes along and says, yes, I'll take these to your mother, and pulls out those things that's like, no, 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 that's not flower. Here is what the intent of this child was to give this gift to his mother. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing with our prayers. 
We don't know how to pray for as we ought. It's in Scripture. But the Holy Spirit will work through these imperfect prayers and bring them to what they should be. God himself is working on and through your prayers. But I think that the Holy Spirit does even more than just fix our prayers. He has given to us a guide for what these prayers should be. After all, the Holy Spirit is the one who has inspired the scriptures of what we see before us. And these can be an extremely helpful guide in determining what our prayers should be. We examine the Psalms, and we see these are divinely inspired prayers. Notice the huge range of emotion that we have in this book of Psalms, and what a guide that can be to our own prayers. But it's not just the the Psalms either. We'll get directions for our prayers all throughout the New Testament as well. I know sometimes we talk about that prayer should be offered more often for spiritual things than physical things. I've heard people deride praying for the health list is called the organ recital, going over everyone's organs that aren't working. But in James chapter 5, verse 14, it tells us to pray for those who are sick, to offer up prayers for people's health. It's not an either or, it's a both and. All throughout the scriptures, he tells us for this. And again, we see this and again in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. That we would be also for our spiritual things, that we would be the prayers lifted up for our sanctification. So yes, there is a lot that we can pray for, both spiritual health and for physical health. And the Holy Spirit works through them all. This is what it means that we are praying in the Spirit. So be bold in what you pray for. You don't feel like, well, if I don't have exactly the right words, then I'm going to mess it up somehow. No. God is for you, and he's working with even your weak efforts at prayer and my weak efforts at prayer and is using them for his glory and to accomplish what he wants to. Now, he continues here. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. These are basically two words meaning the same thing. Praying for other people. And he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Scholars are very helpful here in looking at the word keep alert. And this word alert comes from the original language means to lie awake or to pass sleepless nights. If you have ever suffered from insomnia, you know that is the most alert that you have ever been, isn't it? You are more aware of everything that is around you when you can't sleep. All the things that you could be thinking about, the things that you could be worrying about, or just aware of how awake you are. That's extremely alert. And being ready. That's what, this is the level of alertness that Paul is calling us to when it comes to being aware and ready to pray. Having prayer at a hair trigger when we come up to any situation. I think John Piper has a wonderful illustration for this and what our prayer life should be. Too many of us think about prayer in his words as a domestic intercom trying to get a hold of the front desk looking for more pillows. 
And that it's, and that's prayer's chief use is to bring more comfort into our lives. When instead, prayer should be more looked at as a two-way radio asking for support in the middle of a battlefield. That's what prayer should be. Anytime anyone sees something on the field of battle, it gets called in. That should be our approach to prayer as well. When we see something originating on the horizon, it's like, all right, I need help with this. Reach for that radio. Call that into command. But I think this gets tougher in the latter part of this verse. Keeping alert with all perseverance. Supplication for all the saints. I think this might actually be the hardest part of this passage. Praying persistently and continually when it seems like the call's not going in. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, there have been occasions in your prayers when you feel like you need to thump the side of the radio asking, is this thing on? I've been praying for this over and over and over again and nothing seems to be happening. I don't know about you, but I get extremely impatient with prayer. I want my answer to be done that day. And sometimes the Lord has me waiting days, weeks, months, years. And there are multiple examples of this thing happening all throughout church history. One of the commentators shared a personal story of his that he had been praying for his brother's salvation for 30 years before his brother finally came to know the Lord. Now, yes, that has a wonderful ending, but I can imagine how agonizing that was at year 28. When you begin thinking, maybe I should just pray for something else. But he knew that this is what the Lord would want him to pray for, the salvation of his family, and took that verse seriously to pray with perseverance. He actually drew on some inspiration from the uh, very famous prayer whose name is George Mueller. Doubtless you've heard of him. And when asked if he really believed that Two men for whose salvation he had prayed for for over 50 years would be converted. He had been praying for 50 years for these two guys and saying, how are you still doing this? And George Mueller replied, do you think God would have kept me praying all these years if he did not intend to save them? Both men, if you want to hear the end of the story, both men were eventually converted. One of them was after Mueller's death. Now, the Bible doesn't promise that anything that we pray for, if we pray for it long enough, it will, it will eventually happen. But I do think there is something to Mueller's thought here. And that when he places a burden on our hearts to pray for, that that's not an accident. I think this is something that we take to heart. I've seen it work both ways in my own life personally. I remember when I was a teenager... When I was living in Florida, we would drive past and go to church, and they had an adult video store that was off to the side on, on the road we would pray for. And I remember we prayed for three years every time we would pass by that, that the Lord would put that out of business. Well, three years later, a hurricane came by and knocked it down. Some powerful prayers. 
my mother. And that was, a, that was a beautiful answer to things, to see something like that that was despicable to be brought down. But there have been other occasions, I remember coming out of seminary, we were, we were given the opportunity for a job that, I, that seemed like it was a perfect fit for Abby and I right out of seminary. We had prayed for that for the course of a year, and at the end, it didn't work out. Of course, now through a series of events too long to detail here, it's all brought me to this point here. The Lord has answered a different prayer, an example of the Holy Spirit changing the prayers that I should have prayed to bring me here to this moment. So just because we pray for something doesn't mean God is contractually obligated to bring it through. But there is something of a hope in that the Lord has called us to be persistent in prayer. If for nothing else, to drive home to us how dependent we are on him and how much it is God who is in control and we are not. And to submit to him in whatever answer we see. Now, I think one thing that will help us in this perseverance and persistence, please listen carefully. Because this is important. We cannot divorce from our persistence in prayer. We can't get rid of the idea that God is good. If we think, okay, well, he calls me to do persistence in prayer because I have to nag him into doing what I need to do. Annoy God so much that he'll finally just give in and give me what I need. That is not the God that we serve. When Jesus tells the parable of the persistent widow, and when he tells the story of the persistent friend, when he goes, if you guys will do this because you're persistent, being evil and lazy, how much more so God, who's going to provide for your needs, who loves you so deeply. God is good. Sometimes it can seem like he is depriving me of something good. He's not. He's doing something for my ultimate good. Someone, again, I can't remember where I heard this from, as an illustration of if you've ever been a parent and you get the dreaded recall notice on a child's favorite toy, it's very difficult to explain to a child why they can't have that toy anymore. And we have to take it from them because it's dangerous to their health. They don't understand that. It just seems like you're being a big meanie and a bully. And sometimes we can look at God in that way. It's like, why are you taking this from me? This is a good thing. You're the one who gave it to me. Why are you taking it away? We have to constantly remember that God is good and that everything that he does is for our good and his glory. He set up the world so that our good also brings him the greatest glory. We don't always see why in that moment. But it's remembering the goodness of God all the way through. That's what will keep us persistent in prayer. We're not calling out to a deaf, unfeeling God. We're calling out to a loving Father who runs to his children. That's a testimony that glorifies God. Is one who continues to come to him and saying, I know he's good. I know he's good. I'm going to keep coming and keep coming because he's called me to. That's what it is.
And that we're to do this for all of the saints. For all of the people that are in the capital C church. We are praying for each of us. No one's left out here. This is something that we're all called to do. But now we get into the, our second point as we look into verse 19. We hear Paul's request for prayer. Here we found out that prayer should be a continual, Bible-directed, others-focused way of life. Something that's just a part of how we breathe. But now we look at and not, should not forget that prayer should be offered for the gospel to go forward. Because that's what Paul asks for. He doesn't ask for a more comfortable cell. He doesn't even ask for freedom from that cell. But what he asks is for boldness for him to preach the gospel. That's something, isn't it? The Apostle Paul prays for boldness? Hasn't this guy been stoned before for preaching the gospel? Think he should get this by now? If Paul needs to pray for boldness for the gospel, how much more should we? Is that something that you do when you get up in the morning? Saying, Lord, help me to be bold to declare the gospel today? To remember the gospel for myself? Is this a part of our prayer life? It should be. To open his mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And we can see how much this has already cost him here in verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is what Paul prays for. And at this point, this concludes the instructions that he has to the Ephesians. And then briefly, as he goes here and explains in verses 21 through 24, he gives a final wish and a prayer and a blessing to the people here in this church. He Very briefly, he introduces Tychicus, who is the one who would have brought the letter to the people. He was providing something of a letter of reference to him. So this way the church knows this is from Paul, this is legitimate, this is who this guy is, male, male, Systems were pretty much for the rich. If you were poor, you just had to hope someone faithful would actually bring the message along as you have intended it. And here Paul is saying, this is Tychicus. He's faithful. He's going to explain how we're all doing here. And then he gives us, as scholars point out, a blessing that is reminiscent of all the rest of the letter that he's written to us. That it would be peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear all of these echoes throughout the rest of the letter. Peace that is from God, love that we see in chapter 4. Faith in Jesus Christ, which is central to how all these other blessings come to us. Laying out all of these things for us and then has a final word of blessing or a benediction as we often have in our service. Verse 24, that grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. And this is the letter to the Ephesians. So what's our takeaway from this passage? Our takeaway is that prayer is so important to Paul that we would break away from this military metaphor that we need to emphasize for us. This is something that we offer up constantly because we are in a battle for the souls of people. 
Paul needed prayer. Jesus himself prayed and asked for prayer. So we need to pray. I know this is something that is very difficult to do. Life is chaotic. Life is hectic. I remember having a wonderful illustration of this from my own wife, who I can testify to you with great authority is quite busy with two small children. I remember one particularly chaotic morning. I had said, honey, why not? I'll, I'll, take, a, I'll take watch over the kids here for this time, and why don't you go into the other room and you can do your devotions there? And then she looked at me, and I have a quote, And what she had told me was, if I don't learn how to spend time with Jesus in the midst of chaos, then I'll never spend time with God. (laughs) And she was exactly right. Learning how it is to do all the children, all the things running around, it's making us a priority. John Wesley's wife who had children numbering into the teens, the only way that she found to have prayer and devotion with God was she would take her apron and throw it over her head. (laughs) And all the children knew that mom was praying and not to disturb her. So if she can figure it out with 14 kids, we can figure it out as well. The question is not whether we can do it. The question is, will we? Will we make this a priority? I close with a somewhat lengthy quote from John Piper's book, Desiring God. And I think this is worth quoting in its entirety. He says, unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the main reasons so many of God's children don't have a significant prayer life is not so much that we don't want to but that we don't plan to. If you want to take a four-week vacation, you just don't get up one summer morning and say, hey, let's go today. You won't have anything ready. You won't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. But this is how many of us treat prayer. We get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be part of our life, but nothing's ever ready. We don't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. No time, no place, no procedure. And all we know that the opposite of planning is not a wonderful flow of deep, spontaneous experiences in prayer. The opposite of planning is the rut. Don't be tyrannized by the press of busy days. We all need mid-course corrections. Make this a day of turning to prayer for the glory of God and for the fullness of your joy. Do you hear what he's saying here? This is something that we have to prioritize and to plan for. You're exactly right. Your life is hectic. Your life is crazy. And the devil is quite happy about that, too. We're very happy to let the tyranny of the urgent push out that which is important. This is something we have to plan for, something we have to make a part of our lives whether that's blocking off a section of your calendar or whether this is something we're offering up every 20 minutes or just some combination of the two. The question is, is will we prioritize this? Will we make this a part of our lives? And again, 
This is something that is our joy to do. Maybe part of the reason why we don't pray is we forget who we're talking to. We're talking to the Lord Jesus. He came to earth to live amongst us as one of us, living the life that we should have lived, dying the death that we should have died, and rose again from the dead so that we may have eternal life. And somehow we can't make time for him. It might be the thing that helps us to plan is to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, reminding ourselves who this is that we're talking to. And perhaps that would help give us the joy that we need to go to him and realize the blessing that's there. This doesn't mean that every time we sit down in prayer that it's going to be this you know, floating around the room kind of experience. We can see from the Psalms that wasn't always the case. In Psalm 88, which is the one Psalm I'm very grateful for, it doesn't have a happy ending. Sometimes you get down on your knees and you come back up and it doesn't feel any different. The chaos is still all around you. But it's a reminder that God is still there with you, even when you don't feel it. Prayer is a reminder that God is with you and he still loves you. So pray. Take advantage of this beautiful gift that God gives to you. You need it. You want it. So enjoy it. Have that conversation with your Savior. Get back to it today if it has been something that's been missing as a part of your life. It's easy to do. It's easy for me to do. I get very easily caught up in all the other good things that I have to do that day. Don't neglect this. Don't neglect the power that we have in prayer. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you for this word that you have given to us. And please, Holy Spirit, apply it to our hearts today. It's so easy for us to lose track. It's so easy to get so impressed with ourselves because we've lost sight of you. So help us to keep you front and center. And help us, even when we see our weaknesses, may it drive us to prayer. Oh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.